anything good in my life happens, I'm just afraid I'm going to lose it. I really love you. What do you want? Somebody! Somebody! Somebody help us! What's happening? It's like I think about you every minute. It's like I can still feel you. The problem with you is you still think you're real. It's all up here now. You want to move something, you got to move it with your mind. <laughs> Molly, why can't you hear me? Who is that? You can hear me? Can you hear me? Sam oh, Wheat. Say my name. Say it. Leave me alone. Say my name. Stop it. Hello? I get a message from Sam. What? Sam Wheat? He asked me to call. Once you go to police, he said it was a setup. He was murdered. She said Sam knew who killed him. Are you out of your mind? I mean, what are you going to tell the police? She knew things, private things. I know about the green underwear that you wrote your name on. Well, this psychic woman's got a record that goes back a long way. Don't you see? I'm not a fake. I don't know what's real anymore. Don't open him. Don't open the damn door. He's a murderer. Why are you doing this to me? Do you hear me? Why are you doing this to me? Sam's dead. Tell her I love her. He says he loves you. Sam would never say that. You gotta take all your anger, all your love, all your hate, and then let it explode. Molly? Molly, you in danger, girl. With one tear rolling down my cheek. Ditto. I feel like no one was really saying ditto prior to 1990 when this movie was released. This was like the start of the Urban Dictionary when it came to terminology. This movie put it into the American ether. This movie was also way more successful than I realized. I didn't know this either Critically, until I did research. Yes, but financially, wow. Yeah. First, this is the Pool Scene Podcast. Together, making pottery through a psychic medium. Is your co-hosts, Kevin and Jim. I'm Kevin. I'm Jim Wheat. Jim Wheat, how are you? I'm pretty good, man. It's uh, It's been a pretty good week, uneventful. Got a lot of great response off our last episode, Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift. Got a lot of feedback. Everybody's watching. We watched all the movies to get ready for Fast 9, which me and you discussed. We're going to go off and see it, and then we're going to do a spoiler cast off. Uh, I think uh, when we get to the waste of time later, maybe we'll discuss yes. some Fast and Furious news. All right. In the meantime, I'm working on my Nissan Skyline with Sam Wheat's face on it <laughs> and the uh, the shadow creatures. and My 70 Dodge Charger has Willie's face on it. <laughs> I have the Willie Lopez 70 Dodge Charger. Uh, if you didn't figure it out, from our social media clues, from Ditto or from Clay Pottery, this week's movie is Ghost, the 1990 romantic fantasy thriller directed by Jerry Zucker. Zucker had directed Top Secret Airplane and Ruthless People before Ghost, but this was actually the first movie that he directed by himself. As previous screwball comedies were directed by the team of Zucker, Abraham, and Zucker. After Ghost, he directed First Night and Rat Race, which Rat Race is dated, but at the time, man, it was so funny. It was really good at the time. It's like one of those movies you roll your eyes at because it just, it's like, but you watch it and you're like, this is funny. It's crazy. It came out 20 years ago already. Yeah. Interestingly enough, he was second unit director on another movie 
that we covered rock and roll high school proving that once and for all joey ramone should have played sam wheat yeah i want pizza <laughs> hey man you want some pizza <laughs> Momentarily, Jim will tell us about the budget and box office for Ghost, which will blow your mind, but it was nominated for five Academy Awards. We don't do a lot of Academy Award movies on here. No, we don't. Not at all. It was nominated for Best Picture. Whoopi Goldberg won the Best Supporting Actress, and the movie took home the Oscar for Best Original Screenplay. Jim, tell us about the mind-boggling budget verse box office for the most rented video cassette of 1991 along with what was happening at the time of release. And also, everybody, if you're keeping track pool seniors, this is our second Swayze movie and second Vincent Schiavelli movie. As you remember him, he was in, that's right, Tokyo your guys Drift. favorite. No, he wasn't in Tokyo Drift. He was in Buckaroo Banzai. Get off my car! <laughs> it's one of the black electroids. Yeah. This is my quarter mile! <laughs> I know Han! This came out on July 13th, 1990. Now, here is the number that threw me off because I had no idea. Kevin was blindsided by it. Only a $22 million budget. And nowadays, the apartment that they live in in this movie will cost $22 million. A month. Yeah. It made $505 million in the box. Wow. Five, almost a billion dollars. Half a billion. what non-Marvel and DC action movies make. That is insane. Out of all the movies we have covered thus far, this is the most lucrative movie we have ever covered. That's, it's just crazy. It is absolutely crazy. That's like 25 times budget. It's crazy. And because of that, it emerged as the highest grossing film of 1990. Kevin said it was the most successful VHS movie of 1991. And at the time of its release, was the third highest grossing movie of all time. Adjusted for inflation as of 2015, it's the 93rd highest grossing film of all time. It's it's so bonkers because no one would... Look, Titanic, it'll yeah. come up later. Yeah. Titanic, you couldn't go five feet without people talking about Titanic. There's other movies like this. Nobody was talking about Ghost. Not at all. Like this. You know, the, the fact they made five hundred million dollars the great thing about ghost this was the first time i've watched it in oh my god probably 20 plus years my mom used to watch this movie all the time she used to cry a lot as i did watching this movie it starts off like a horror movie it does it's the ambiance you're like what the and fuck there is are definitely on? horror elements to it it is a real roller coaster emotionally because you're scared one moment you're crying the next in sadness you're happy one and, moment and see i didn't include a lot of that research in the development the production of this movie but they hired a parody comedy director i think because they were afraid that the script was too dark but then they were also like it needs to be dark not comedy it, it's just and then what they ended up with was this nice balance because you've got a funny scene kind of right at the beginning of the movie a really funny scene but you also have like some serious horror elements and one of the most romantic movies probably ever. Like yeah. it's so crazy. It's just, it's bonkers. And the weird thing is the actor that played Willie Lopez hosted Showtime at the Apollo and he was a stand-up comic for four years. I love it. That's crazy to it. be in that role. In the news, Kevin, 1990 was a big, big time when it came to the fall of communism, the Berlin Wall falling in November of 1989, the German Democratic Republic, or as most of you would know it as, East Germany accepts the Deutschmark as its official currency. Now, Kevin and I, we have 
big fans here. Members of two live crew, good old Uncle Luke. Luke Skywalker. Formally charged with obscenity in Florida. Two days later after charged, they released Banned in the USA, the lyrics quote, the Star Spangled Banner and the Gettysburg Address. That album also had Fuck Martinez, Fuck Navarro. (laughs) It's the craziest album. It was basically one of those albums that was notorious for the parental advisory thing. That started off everything. Mm Mm-hmm. One group that never had a parental advisory logo on their album, the New Kids on the Block. 400 of their fans retreated for heat exhaustion at a concert in Minnesota. In Minnesota? In Minnesota. Damn, imagine if they were in Miami. Kevin, another big weird occurrence happened on the 8th of July, 1990. At 1234.56 on 7890, it was 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 0. To quote Spaceballs, the kind of thing an idiot puts on his luggage. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's his password. New York City police arrest a guy they deem as Dartman. Dartman. Dartman, not Bartman or Fartman. Dartman. Stabbed over 50 women with darts. <laughs> Holy shit. Wait, what? He stabbed over 50 women with darts. Now, I don't know if he went up to him and just went dart stab. Or he literally put up a line and was 301 in them down the pike, but I don't know. This 50 times. He lost a, a tournament at a bar. He didn't get to go to the Nationals, so he took it out on the yeah people of... He had a lot of hope, that kid, one day. He thought he was going to make it big in the dart world, but guess what? He had daddy issues. <laughs> now, let's throw it over to our man from above who knows Sam Wheat. Hey, George, how's Sam Wheat doing? Good evening, everybody. I'm George Michael. Welcome to the Sports Machine. Cincinnati Red Pete Rose, who should be in the Hall of Fame, and if you think he doesn't, you deserve to get hit in the head with a tack hammer, is sentenced to five months for tax evasion in the prison. Okay. Whatever. No big deal. Speaking of the Cincinnati Reds, one of the most infamous events happened at a Reds-Padres game. Roseanne Barr sings the national anthem. Yeah. That... Caused a, a big shitstorm with the Reds. You got Roseanne. You got uh, Pete. What's their uh, their owner? Was it Marge Shot? Marge Shot. Yeah, being yeah. a Nazi sympathizer. Yeah, you had the Pete Rose. You had Lou Pinella flipping out behind the bench. Mm-hmm. Also, Kevin, this is one of the weirdest world records of all time, and I'm going to try to pronounce this name. It's very, very Bulgarian. Najedsa Reyeshkina of the USSR sets a 10K walk woman's record for 41 minutes and 56 seconds for 10Ks. Speed walk. Speed walking is weird. You have to get your whole hips because and arms into it. What is what is the threshold of what becomes running? Exactly. There's a lot of great Is there area. a distance of your foot that you're not allowed to pick up off the ground, then it becomes running? But when you see people do speed walking, it's so awkward how they get their entire body and hips into it. It looks... Probably like it would have more long-term effect on your joints and your yeah. body than just running. Well. Yeah, it looks very bad. The number one movie in America at this time, which some people would technically call it a Christmas movie, Die Hard 2. Okay. Die Hard 2 takes place during Christmas. It's a Christmas movie released in July. I like one is obviously great. I love three. Two is directed two. by Rennie Harlan, yeah. which is kind of different. Three is great. Two gives us the best edited line in movie history. Instead of yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker, you get yippee-ki-yay, Mr. Falcon. Yeah, that, this is what happens when you find a stranger in the Alps. It's, <laughs> it's not on that level, but. <laughs> it's up there. Yeah. The number one song at this time, we mentioned them before, 
and KOTB New Kids on the Block. Step by step. Step by step. Ooh, baby. Wanna get to you, girl. Was the number one song in America. I was a big New Kids fan. I ain't gonna lie. We got Jordan Knight over here in the corner. I have books. He lives here. So does Danny Wood. So does Jonathan Knight. So does Donnie Wahlberg, because Mark hangs out on the weekends. And that's all that was going on in and around July 13th of 1990. Let me tell you the plot of Ghost. Sam Wheat, good name, is a banker in Manhattan. Although in the movie, it's like, it's two syllables. So you're always first name, last name guy. It's literally, it almost sounds like it's one whole name. Sam Sam Wheat. He has just renovated an apartment that he lives in with his girlfriend, Molly Jensen. Great. Wow. Oh, that's incredible. There's got to be seven or eight feet up there. 80 years of dust. (laughs) Oh, look at all this height. We could put our bedroom upstairs and that'll leave us with all this space. For what? (coughs) Just space. Their friend and Sam's co-worker, Carl Bruner, assists with the renovation. We're not going to mention that no shirts were present for Carl or Sam. Kevin, it was a hot day. You don't want to get the asbestos all in your outfit, all right? It just directly on your skin. Exactly. Better. Sam is good at what he does at the bank, I think, and he's in line for a promotion we see discussed. One day, Sam discovers a glitch of sorts in the computer where a number of obscure accounts have unusually high balances. Sam tells this to Carl in secrecy, and Carl offers to help investigate. There's too much money in these accounts. Too much money? That's impossible. Could there be... Sam, this is going to take you hours. Let me do this. It already has taken me hours. Well, let me take it back and figure it out for you. No, no, that's okay. It's, it, it's like a vendetta now. Thanks, though. I appreciate it. Okay. If you start to go blind, just give a shot. Okay. Adios. Sam declines the offer and says he'll take care of it. That night, Sam's out with Molly. They went to see, what, Macbeth? Yeah, great time there, everybody. And Jesus. they're attacked by a mugger. Sam tries to fight the mugger and is, in quotes, accidentally killed. We see Sam as a ghost, and he has the opportunity to go towards the white light. So my interpretation of this is that at that time, he, if he wanted, he could ascend into that light. Yeah, you're ready. You've passed the test. Yeah, so he could ascend into the light, but instead... He turns around and he goes, hey, I want to go look at my my own dead body over there. You ever think, Kevin, that he was blinded by the light? Wrapped, wrapped up, up like, like a, a douche. douche. <laughs> While Molly is grieving, <laughs> she wraps herself up like a douche because she's grieving. She wears Sam's clothes. Pretty much. While Molly's grieving, Sam keeps his eye on her, but he's unable to interact with her. While Molly's out for a walk with Carl, Sam sees a mugger, the mugger, not a mugger, but his mugger. Willie. Willie. Enter her apartment. Sam follows the mugger and learns his name is, again, Willie Lopez, and he was hired by an outside party to mug Sam. It's me. Couldn't get it. She came home. Give me a couple of days, man. I'll, I'll go back. Relax. I'll get it. Get what? Who are you? What do you want from us? By happenstance, after leaving Willie's apartment, Sam wanders into a psychic shop where he learns that the psychic, Otome Brown, can hear him. He asks her for help to speak to Molly and warn her that he wasn't killed accidentally 
as part of a mugging, but it was more of a, a planned thing. Murder. Yes. Willie, again, he was hired as an, an, an outside. He, he was just a pawn in a, a part of a bigger plot. Yeah. Involving drug dealers and laundered drug money and so on. Molly believes Odame and she takes Sam's advice to go to the police. So Sam's telling Odame what to tell to Molly. The police obviously don't believe her. They say that Odame has a criminal history. A file that Molly says, quote, is <laughs> at least 10, 10 inches, inches thick. thick. 10 inches. You'd be doing life if you had a 10 inch file. Oh, you'd be making out pretty good with a 10 inch file. <laughs> Sam follows Carl, who goes to Willie's. And Sam discovers the truth. Carl, what the hell are you doing here? Who you been talking to, Willie? Talking to? The hell do you mean? Some woman knows all about you, everything. And where's she getting it from, huh? I haven't said a word to anybody. She knows your name, goddammit. She knows where you live. It was Carl who was hiding money in these accounts because he's laundering drug money. And he hired Willie to retrieve the passwords from Sam. So through deduction, you kind of realize that Carl either believed or knew that Sam kept the passwords in his wallet. I guess Willie didn't anticipate that Sam would fight back. Sam's determined to find a way to protect Molly himself. At her apartment, Carl makes a move on Molly and Sam accidentally knocks over a picture frame. Sam remembers a ghost on the train who broke glass. So Sam's determined how to learn to move solid objects. It's all in your mind. The problem with you is you still think you're real. You think you're wearing those clothes? You think you're crouched on that floor? Bullshit. You ain't got a body no more, son. It's all up here now. You want to move something, you got to move it with your mind. You got to focus. You hear what I'm saying? Carl has moved his laundered money into an account under the name Rita Miller. Sam convinces Odame to impersonate Rita Miller. They withdraw the money and they donate it to charity. Carl is now understandably sweating and panicking. And Sam has learned successfully how to move objects. He types his name repeatedly on Carl's computer. Carl finds out from Molly that Odame closed the Reader Miller account, which is a great scene because it's excellent. As soon as Molly tells Carl, does this have something to do with her being at the bank? And you just see Swayze just, oh, like bow his head so after this carl and willie go to Odame's, where sam scares willie and willie wanders into the street he's hit and killed by a car you're dead willie where then he is dragged to hell by shadow creatures oh that sound sam and Odame go to molly's sam levitates a penny into her hand which convinces molly that Odame is telling the truth so despite a million reasons this is the final thing that's like okay i believe you Sam then enters Odame's body and uses her as an avatar to have a romantic slow dance with Molly. Carl comes to Molly's with a gun where he thinks Odame has the check. Sam manages to fight off Carl where Carl is impaled by a glass shard from a broken window and then summoned to hell by the shadow creatures. Can reunite in the afterlife with Willie and they can dance to Unchained Melody. Molly can now hear Sam. The white light of heaven has returned and Molly can also see Sam. He thanks Odame, shares a kiss with Molly, and then walks into the light. Molly says, See ya. And with that, on to the characters. And this movie had some of the absolute wackiest casting potential. It's insane. This movie went from being making 25 times its budget, whatever it is, and having an Oscar winner with uh, Whoopi to it could have been direct to vhs and never released 
and we'll get into that. So we have Patrick Swayze as Sam Wheat. This role was offered to Paul Hogan. Knife. No offense to Paul Hogan, but picturing him doing the romantic scenes makes me ill. I can imagine Paul Hogan puts in his contract, I need to wear the hat from Crocodile Dundee. Nobody's going to remember who I am. Also turning down the lead role, Tom Cruise, Harrison Ford. Tom Cruise, thousand percent can see him in this role. The only problem with Tom Cruise in this role, him and Molly probably would have looked a little bit too much alike. You know who I could see? I could see Harrison Ford in this role. You ever see Regarding Henry? Mm -hmm. It's like almost an Avatar to Ghost, minus he didn't die in it. Yeah, so those two good calls, good calls. Not Paul Hogan. No. Demi Moore as Molly Jensen, they were pissed about the haircut. When she was cast, she had long hair and then showed up for filming with that short hair. And it became iconic anyways. It, It did. It was, to me, this is absolute peak Demi Moore. Amazing. So attractive, just very, like, charming. You know, you can't help but... It's like that girl next door. Absolutely. She was cast due to her ability to cry on command out of either eye, which is... Pretty impressive. Demi, I need you to cry to your left eye, please. She wasn't a huge financial star at this time, but Ghost made her the highest paid actress in Hollywood at the time. Nicole Kidman auditioned, but didn't have enough name value. Glad that didn't work out. Following this, Demi probably cashed in a bit because if she became the highest paid actress in Hollywood, you got to think immediately following this, she did like G.I. Jane. G.I. Jane. Disclosure. Disclosure. She did um, strip tease, which... I think that's where she uh, went off. Well, it's funny because the next movie she did after ghost was nothing but trouble. That's right. She did not get no way. She got a a humongous check for that. Mortal thoughts, butcher's wife, a few good men, indecent proposal, disclosure, scarlet letter now and then, and so on and so on. I think by strip tease, it was, it was, we were done here. Probably leveled out. Whoopi Goldberg as Oda Mae Brown. Whoopi 90. This role was not written for Whoopi, but it was Patrick Swayze who convinced the filmmakers to cast her. You owe an awful lot to Patrick, don't you? Yeah, yeah, I do. He uh, he got hired to do Ghost and asked them, why hasn't Whoopi Goldberg, have you talked to her? And they were like, no, no, we didn't go to her. And he was like, why not? And he said, well, because we feel that she would take us out of the movie. And he said, no, no, I'm not committing to this until I talk to her and see if she wants to do this movie. Have you asked her? They said, well, no, no, we haven't. And he said, yeah, no, they don't want you. And I said, oh, oh okay, Aww. that's all right. You know. You stole the film. <laughs> well, so two, about three weeks later, I'm in the middle of this other movie and my agent calls me back and says, you remember that movie they didn't want you for? Well, they've hired a guy who says he's not going to commit unless he is sure you don't want to do it. So they want to come down and see you. And I was like, okay, who is it? They said, well, you'll see when when he gets there. So I, day comes and I go and he comes out and said, why don't you want to do this movie? (laughs) And I went, wait. Aren't you Patrick Swayze? (laughs) And he said, yes. I said, what makes you think I don't want to do the movie? I'd love to do the movie. They said they didn't want me. He said, do you want to do the movie? I said, if we can have some fun, yeah. And so he said, if you're not going to hire her, I will not be in this film. Wow. And so without him, it would not have happened. Yeah. And then I got the Oscar and, you know, in your face. Thanked him. <laughs> exactly. You know? Originally, the role was offered to Jack A. Harry. Wow, what a different movie that would have been. <laughs> the other person considered Oprah Winfrey. Makes sense. So we could have had Paul Hogan, Nicole Kidman, Jack A. Harry. 
Or we could have had, well, we definitely would have had Tom Cruise, then Nicole Kidman, because they're like, man, their chemistry in Days of Thunder. Yeah. We need this here. Still probably would have worked. Probably. But Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman with Jack A. Harry. <laughs> because if you think Goldberg was there because of Swayze. Mm-hmm. So anybody non-Swayze, and this is Jackie Harry. So She goes straight from the 227 set right onto Ghost. Wow. Really yeah. weird. Mm-hmm. Tony Goldwyn is Carl Bruner. They wanted a big name for this role but they kept going back to Goldwyn's audition tape. It was perfect. And the movie fucked his life up a bit. Oh, yeah. People were unable to separate the actor from his character, and, like, he had waitresses refusing to serve him. Well, it's like I told you, it's Jamie Walters and 90210, because people saw him as his character did through Donna down a flight of stairs, and it wrecked his music career. Yeah, it's just, it's so weird, because if they would have cast a big-name actor, they don't have that problem. It would have overshadowed Patrick Yeah, Swayze. they would have been, okay, we, you're Harrison Ford, like, we know you. Yeah, could you imagine if you would have had Harrison Ford in that role and Patrick Swayze as your lead? It wouldn't work. No. Rick Aviles as Willie Lopez, Vincent Schiavelli as Subway Ghost, not Subway Restaurant. A lot of guys you see in a lot of, like, sitcoms and movies. Sure, sure. So, which actor or actress gives a passable performance? Does any non-lead character steal scenes? God, to me. No, it was real. She knew about a, a sweater I knitted and songs we sang. A trip to Montego Bay. Her ability to cry. Her vulnerability. It is so genuine that I was crying. Like during the penny scene, I'm crying. At the end, I'm crying. And she just has this ability to connect with the person who's watching the movie to their own emotion. I thought how she didn't win an award for this kind of blows my mind. Well, she won a bigger award, which was becoming the highest paid actress in Hollywood. She did end up cashing in Give me that instead of a trophy. I would agree. I've got the shadow creatures. So the horrific sounds made by the dark shadows, found this out this week, and couldn't wait till the episode to post it, they're really the sounds of babies' cries God. played at an extremely slow speed backwards. That makes it even scarier. Jim, cue the sound. That's it's like playing Helter Skelter backwards. Ugh, like when, when like, I was a kid, when I was a kid, there were two things. There was the Tales from the Crypt opening theme, and I knew like, all right, get out of this room. I'm too little to to watch this. Although not long after, I started getting really into them. But the opening theme would scare me. But the number one thing that scared me so badly was those shadow creatures. It's frightening. God, they it, just peel themselves out of the shadows. Well, the fact that you find out that it's actually babies playing at slow speed makes it even for you. Yeah, I know. That's like, it's like, whose fucking okay, idea was norm- that? Normally you see the uh, the man behind the curtain and it kind of makes it more digestible. No, in this case, it makes it more scary. Yeah. I would love to know the story of how they came upon that. Well, that's always like so fascinating to me because you think about Chewbacca. And Chewbacca's noise was like a combination of a number of animals. 
played over time. There was like badgers and bears. Sound guys are so fascinating. People like Foley artists and people who have to make sounds for movies. It's awesome to watch. If you can ever watch a YouTube video of them doing a Foley art, it's amazing. They had some sicko who was like, hey, we need these these shadow characters to scare little kids. I walked by the fucking daycare and these <laughs> kids are screaming. I pulled out my talk boy and had an idea. I fucking hate kids, man. <laughs> Motherfucker ruined my play life. backwards and fucking slowed down sam wheat all right let's get to best scenes i'll go first pretty early in the movie the unchained melody clay pottery love me the most i if you ask anybody about this movie this is the scene yeah this is it this, this is it was parodied and stuff but this is it. So Molly is a, um, she makes pottery. She's an artiste. Originally she was supposed to be a sculptor, but this worked better. I promise. She makes clay pots. Well, she couldn't sleep in their new $50 billion apartment. It's ridiculous. And how big this is. she, so she's making a, a vase and Sam comes up behind her and she screws it up and she kind of got, you know, they're holding hands and they're making this she comes pot in, together. He comes in from behind. Yeah, he comes in from behind, and then with clay all over him, they just go at it. They make sex. But it's it's subtle, you know? It's it's not... It's not over-the-top, like, sex. Yeah. It's... Yeah, it's, it's a... Subtle movements. It's inferred. But that is, you know, the fact... It, it's the combination of how they shot their hands, and then... Righteous Brothers. The Righteous playing. Brothers Unchained Melody. That's what makes it is that song. I like to hope that she's making pottery because that's her contribution to the rent. Because what the fuck is she doing? I, is she selling it though? I She's got to do something. And like he's going to grow resentment. Like, hey, I'm doing all this work. Where's your part? Sam had to be a banker so that they could have the whole bank storyline. But honestly, Sam probably should have been working on Wall Street and he should have screwed Carl over on a stock or something. And this because, is his revenge. Because you can't live in that apartment. Like, he's a bank teller at, you know, Second it seems, National. It's, it seems like he w literally lives right across the street from the New York Stock yes, Exchange. Yes, exactly. They live in this insane 5,000-square-foot apartment. Like, loft. In Manhattan. Yeah, it's, it's insane. So, my first one... Right after Sam dies, he's trying to get a lay of the the in-between, the limbo. He comes across this old guy oh, at the yeah. hospital, and the old guy explains to him, hey, this is this is what's going on right now. Welcome, kid. And he yeah. kind of gives a, a little slight explanation about yes. what he's going to experience now. Phil, Phil leads as emergency room ghost. Yeah. So, what happened to you? What? You're new, huh? I can tell. Are you talking to me? Hey, relax. It ain't like before, you know. It's a whole new ball of wax. Who are you? Oh, I'm waiting for my wife. She's in uh, 4C, cardiac wing. She's fighting it. Shot, huh? That'll do it every time. Poor bastard. Hey, you may as well get used to it. You could be here for a long while. Come here, I'll tell you a secret. Doors ain't as bad as you think. Zips up. There ain't nothing at all. You'll see. You'll, you'll catch on. And this guy's bedside manner is not the best. No, he sticks his head under the sheet to notice he's dead. Because, yeah, Sam is so newly dead that he doesn't know what's going on. And this guy's just kind of like, first time, kid. And like, it's as if they needed the book from the recently deceased from Beetlejuice to present to Sam and go, here you go. Yeah, because Sam doesn't know any of the rules. Apparently, this guy's like Schiavelli, who's been hanging around a while. Only thing we can infer that he either jumped or pushed. 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 Okay, he yeah. was pushed. He was pushed because when Swayze kind of laughs and he's like, you're pushed by who? <laughs> like, 
But the cool thing about the old guy, they sit there and they watch the guy in the emergency room and the old guy's telling him, all right, he's about to go watch this happen. Yeah. So, and, and the guy yes. ascends. Next, I got Rita Miller getting the $4 million and closing the account before giving the money to charity. Speaking of probably the funniest scene in the entire oh, movie. It's hilarious. There's... She keeps fucking up. Rita Miller. Who? What? Tell her Rita Miller. Rita Miller. Didn't they have you sign a card when you opened the account? Tell her Carl Bruner opened it for you by phone and asked you to come in today. So you see, Carl Bruner, he he opened it for me by phone, that account, and, and now he's asked me to come in today. I see. Just sign this card on the bottom line, please. May I use your pen? Thank you so much. No, 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 Rita Miller. <laughs> I'm so sorry. You know, I, I need another one. I signed the wrong name. Carl, who has stolen the exact $4 million. To the, the point. Yeah, out of these multiple accounts, has now taken that money, consolidated it, and transferred it into an account of Rita Miller. Of a fake name. Sam knows all this because he's got the omniscient, you know, he's a ghost. Yeah, he's been standing there watching them. So Sam is aware. So Sam has Oda who thankfully has a criminal past 10 inches thick. <laughs> so he has her create a fake idea for Rita Miller. They go to the bank. She's where, got on Sunday's best. Yeah, she absolutely. <laughs> a bright pink blazer and this pink hat. She signs, you know, the account. And because she says she has to get out of there so she can make a transfusion. She signed her real name. She signed her real name. And she goes, can I have another? I signed the wrong name. name. It's so good. And then so they get the card and then they need to go and close the account. She has a little back and forth with the security guard, which is great. What is this in regards to? What? He doesn't remember me. Oh, we spent all that time at the Brewster's Christmas party last year. He and his lovely wife, Shirley. It was beautiful. A big old tree and... Thousands of presents everywhere. It... Gas. <laughs> I get a little gas from time to time. That's all. And then she, yes. she goes and meets Lyle Ferguson, asks about Bobby and Snooky, because Sam's telling her all this. And then she withdraws $4 million, which she doesn't know. $4 million! <laughs> yeah. And then Lyle asks her, how would you like that? And she says, well, how would you like that? Tens and twenties. Tens and twenties? <laughs> no, I just think I take cashier's check. Better make it a cashier's check. So then it continues. It's like a whole three-part scene. So they get the check. In this scene, Molly happens to wander into the bank, and that's kind of where things go sideways because Molly straight up asks Lyle. There's no confidentiality because she asks Lyle. She says, that woman, Oda Mae Brown. And she goes, no, that's Rita Miller. She goes, "What? why was she here? And he goes, oh, she closed an account. I don't want bankers telling other people my business. Yeah, motherfucker. You ever hear a little thing called confidentiality? That guy, Kevin, what was he doing here? Oh, he overdrawed his account. He was depositing $2. <laughs> he He's on rough time. He was, he was depositing $2 in rolled pennies so that his account wouldn't be negative. But what makes this movie so amazing is you needed this levity between everything going on yeah it is so perfectly written and so perfectly oh yeah because otherwise it's too heavy it is beyond heavy yeah. so this is just a so great that's break. what i said you've got comedy at the right times romance the overarching theme because sam's doing all of this because of his love for molly who they're not married and then you've got some like violence and murder and suspense it's kind of like a perfect stew so then after molly you know sees otome otome leaves and she goes what am i gonna do with all this money $4 million. I'm going to buy a building. I'm going to send my, yeah, I'm going to buy a building. I'm going to send my sister to a fat farm. And then Sam goes, 
you don't get to keep the money. So that's my blood money. I was killed for that. He was like, I was killed for that. So she signs the check and he makes her give it to nuns. Meanwhile, as she's carrying on a conversation with him in broad daylight, right, right. In front of nuns. The best, the best, like the thing that sealed the Oscar for me is when he's telling her like, sign your own, like sign Rita Miller. And she's like, I know. And she's like, (laughs) says it through her teeth. And these nuns are looking at each other like, oh God, like what's this lady? Yeah, we have a logic issue for that. Yeah. So my next one, of course, is when Sam finds out that Otome is full of shit when she's doing the reading with the one person and all of a sudden she starts hearing him. Oh, yeah. And he's calling her out for all the bullshit. Yep. He's dressed in a black suit. Black suit? Could be blue. What a crock of shit. Who is that? Julio! Where are you? Julio? Julio? Did you hear it? Damn. And she he's chasing her around a room saying, Say Sam Wheat, say Sam Wheat, Sam Wheat, Sam Wheat. Otome, what's what are you saying? Sam, wait! <laughs> it is such a funny scene because Otome knows how to bullshit people. She is a charlatan. She's a con artist, and she's been making money from people who recently lost somebody. But now she meets Sam by accident, and next thing you know, the floodgates open. At one point, she has ghosts everywhere in the small room yeah. trying to do readings. But first time. She meets Sam. Oh, it is so great. Him calling her out under his breath. The controversial scene of Sam entering Otome's body. I'd give anything if I could just touch you once more. He says he wishes he was alive again so he could touch you. Okay, okay, look. You can use me. Use you? And use my body. Use your body? Just do it quick before I change my mind. During one of those scenes that Jim discusses, one of the ghosts gets impatient waiting his turn. So you see him in his ghost form get inside Otome's body. And then for a moment, it still looks like her. She becomes him as like an avatar. Her voice inflections. Yeah. So after at the end, when Molly finally believes Otome, she lets them in, you know, as essentially lets Otome in. Sam just can kind of come in when he wants. Sam tells Molly he wishes he could touch her one last time. And Otome is like, use me. Use my body. So Sam enters Otome's body so that he can slow dance with Molly. Now, the way I understand, the way this was originally shot, is that at some point you saw Whoopi Goldberg and Demi Moore dance or kiss or whatever. Now, the way the final cut really worked, because you see Whoopi's hand, dark skin, you see her hand touch Molly. They pan up to Molly's face, that emotion from Demi Moore. Such a great shot. And then when they pan back, it's Demi Moore and Patrick Swayze. It's Sam and Molly. Molly. But apparently at some point, it wasn't always shot that way. I guess maybe they didn't think the audience would like understand. Maybe they added that other scene in, you know, preface sooner or something. It would have been goofy. So I guess in, in the test screenings when they saw Demi Moore and Whoopi Goldberg, people laughed. So they remember. Can you imagine it. at one moment you're crying, next thing you're like, ah! Yeah, right. But yeah, the scene's great. It, it's up there with the clay. It's where you get Righteous Brothers again. 
You have Sam and Molly dancing this final dance before Carl shows up, messes the whole Imagine thing. if they would have played You've Lost That Love and Feeling at that point. Yeah. It would have made sense. So my last one, oh, and I fucking cried watching it, the penny scene. Give me a penny quick. What? Push a penny under the door now. What are you be talking about push a penny under the door? Just do it. Tell her it's for luck. Sam says it's for luck. Yep. That scene, uh, Demi Moore and the look on Swayze's face as he's he tells Otome, put a penny under the door. Why do you want me to do a penny under? Puts a penny under the door and is able to touch the penny without everything Sam touches. You hear a sound before he's able to touch it. You don't hear it this time. Yeah. So he's able to drag the penny from the floor with one finger and then proceeds to go up the door and you see it hit Demi to the realization it is Sam. Yeah, she's watching a floating penny. And then he's able to turn the penny over and float it in front of her and you just see her start crying. I start crying. It's just such a great wholesome moment where everything she is somewhat doubted, everything everybody's told her that she's crazy, it validates her. And she finally can have that connection with Sam. And it's just, Ugh. And then to be the antithesis of your romantic emotional scene, got when Carl gets killed. Sam. Oh, Carl. Carl comes to Molly's house. He assumes or thinks that Otome is probably there. So he essentially attacks them, chases them up or down a fire escape. He wants to check. Just give me the check, Sam, okay? I promise you I'll let her go if you just give it to me. He wants the check for $4 million. Because his life's on the line. These gangsters, whoever these these drug guys are, they're going to kill him for this $4 million. Sam is needs to recharge his batteries. He's basically weak from entering Otome's body. It takes a lot of uh, ghost power to do that, apparently. Finally, Sam comes to, he starts, you know, beating on Carl while Molly and Otome are able to get away. Carl, Carl swings, swings it at hook. Sam, which at this point he's got to know. But Carl swings the hook at Sam. They, well, wherever he thinks Sam is. True. And the hook comes back, hits a window while Carl is trying to climb through the window. A bunch of glass falls. Carl's still laying there. One huge slanted piece of glass slides straight down, straight into Carl's gut. And we get this big squib blood explosion. Which, hmm fatality yeah it's very final destination the funny thing about this whole scene it's awesome it is really good it's in an abandoned apartment upstairs which is another 40 million dollar apartment i love that he holds molly hostage and he's like all right sam just give me the check all right sam I, you know what, does he expect just a floating a check, check to go just, boom. there you go <laughs> Uh, he should have just told him, hey, it's at St. Whatever, St. Mary's Church. Yeah. <laughs> Carl just goes and holds him. Just hostage. go there. He writes him a note, hands yeah. it to him. So, and then the final scene I want to mention is Carl's not all bad because before Sam is killed. Yeah, before he turned heel. Yeah. And the only reason Carl turned heel is because Sam caught him. Caught, yeah, caught him. So good of a banker, he catches this $4 million glitch. They're in the elevator. The first time you see them at work together. So good. And it's a crowded, you know, elevator of people and they're having a laugh. And uh, you're having a laugh. Yeah, they're having a laugh. <laughs> How are you feeling? What the doctor say? He um, said that it was contagious. That it was really. No. Yeah. He said that I shouldn't even be coming in today. <laughs> what about the rash? <clears throat> the rash? Mm-hmm. The rash is um. Also incredibly contagious. He said it both been spreading. No. <coughs> on your genitals again? Yeah. Yeah, right on the genitals. 
basically everyone. <coughs> he said that I shouldn't touch anyone. <coughs> Excuse me. <I'm> sorry. <coughs> You're sick. No. Sam says to Carl, hey, what the doctor say about that cough? And he keeps coughing. He says, it's highly contagious. And he goes, oh, what about the rash? And he goes, oh, it's it's, it's spreading everywhere. It's on your genitals? It's on your genitals. He says, yeah, it's on my genitals. And he goes, I'm not supposed to touch anybody. Touch the guy in front and of him. And he coughs. He touches the guy in front of him. It's it's just awesome. It's a great levity moment. It's very funny. Which you know, it, which helps at that time because you don't suspect a Carl heel turn eventually. It shows, hey, him and Sam are buddy-buddy. Yeah, so something that most Manhattan apartments do not have is a swimming pool, but we do. Yes, we do, and you know what that means, Kevin. Except it's time to get out of that swimming pool. Get out! There's ghosts! Pool check! So we have another Mount Rushmore segment for this week's pool check. We hope you enjoyed last week's action movie Mount Rushmore. That was a difficult one. This one might even be more difficult. This week, to fit the theme of Ghost, we are going to choose our Mount Rushmore of iconic movie couples. No discernible order. Top four. If you're playing along at home, don't be goofs. These are strictly romantic couples, not platonic. So no, no buddy cops. No, no, no buddy cops. It's not Axel and Billy. No, no Axel and Billy. This is romantic movie couples. I'm going to say, because last week we didn't really lay down the parameters. Yeah, this time this we need week to. we're going to say I am choosing my selections based on just the events of the films, how the relationships make me feel. Kind of like, I want couples that make me believe in love. Okay, and then my Mount Rushmore are the couples that have conflict initially, but through that conflict, they find each well, other. Well, yeah, love finds a way. Yes. Are these relationships that make you cry? Because if we discuss what we think happens after the events of the films, I probably have none. Yeah. I have zero. I agree. Because I'll throw one out here. It might be on your list. Johnny and baby and dirty dancing. That's yeah. They, they break up one day after the movie. Like, they hate each other. There's no chance that they survive, but in the movie itself. Absolutely. But like I said, love found a way. Cause initially he was with what's her name that ended up having the, is, the, is that on your list? Yeah, baby and Johnny are okay. on my list. So let's start with that. That's that'll be the first. So pick. it's on my list because like I said, love found a way with those two. Cause initially he wanted nothing to do with her. She was just this annoying, spoiled, rich girl. That was there with daddy going into college, going into college. They're going to their, their weekend or this whole Kellerman's resort locks eyes with Johnny, but Johnny's with, I can't remember her name off the top of my head, but you know who I'm talking yeah. about. And she starts befriending all of them, getting into the group. And then she ends up having an abortion that she doesn't tell daddy about because daddy helps Not her. baby. Not baby. Johnny's but partner. Johnny's partner. So because of baby that. Baby just carried a watermelon. But she feels obligated because the big year end events happening. Warning, warning, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. You are about to be inundated with spoilers. Spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you haven't, we, we did Dirty Dancing. Uh, so if you've listened first to that season. episode, you know, you know all of this anyway. But moving forward for the rest of this segment. Spoilers. Spoiler heavy. Yeah, spoiler check. Okay, sorry. No, you're fine. So then she feels obligated that she needs to help Johnny out. So Johnny teaches her how to dance the whole time. Johnny's getting frustrated, but more and more and more they bond through dance and then they fall in love. So like I said, 
love found a way through all the minutia. Well, the the biggest to me is that he's never known love. Never has. Because nobody's ever treated him that way. He's always been treated like trash. Yeah, yeah, he lives on the other side of the tracks. Yeah, so no one's ever went out of their way for him. Nobody's ever made an effort to make him feel And he lets like he baby mattered. know that. Yeah, and, and to me, it's very important in, in a romantic relationship is having reassurance that how much you matter to someone. And that's the first time Johnny gets that. So absolutely. I don't have dirty dancing on mine because probably I can't get past the fact that they're so different. This all happens at a summer camp. Opposites attract Paul Abdul. And as soon as the summer camp's over, we'd love to have known what baby's happened. going to college. Peace. You know, it's just not going to happen. She's not going to be like, Hey, I'm going to write letters to this hood who maybe can't read. So <laughs> fucker can read those checks. I want to get this one out of the way. My first pick, I would imagine if I, if one of us didn't select this, we'd get some angry hate mail, get some letters ourselves. I know where you're going. It's Rose and Jack from Titanic. There's no way this one could not be on my Mount Rushmore. Titanic, the highest grossing movie of all time for several years, because people were seeing this 10 and 12 times in the theater. I don't know how they did it. And it wasn't to see the Titanic sink or hit the iceberg. That's why I went. It was, but you didn't go 10 times. No, I went once. I slept during but the first half. people that were seeing it 10 and 12 times, I'm guessing it's because they were horny for Rose and Jack. Not, or the French girl scene. Not horny for the boat sinking. We've got the draw me like one of your French girls scene. Oh, God. And then we've got Jack sinking his Titanic into Rose's ocean <laughs> in the backseat of a stranger's car. A handprint. But my problem with the relationship is that they knew each other for maybe three days. Max. Arguably, she slummed it. Rose had probably only met a handful of boys in her life because she's this aristocratic family. She was always guarded. And she was always guarded. So her family wasn't going to let her meet boys. Oh, hell no. And so she falls in love with maybe the first boy she's ever really met independently. The third class guy. Be because Cal, I'm assuming, is probably an arranged marriage. Oh, it so as hell seems like so it. So she recognizes that. She basically is contemplating suicide by jumping off the boat. And young Leo Jack Dawson talks her off of the ledge. The ledge, literally. And that's when they meet. That's when it all, you know, starts. Then when the boat sinks, there's the cliche argument that whatever she was floating on to allow Jack to not die in the water. Like, she let the evidence dive into the ocean. Yes. She could have saved Jack. There was enough room on that fucking plank. Hey, Jack, come up here. But see, to me, that's that's probably in her mind where she's like, fuck, I, mean, I knew this guy for three days. Like, I'm going to get off the boat. I'm going to be expected. Bye now. I'm going to leave my rich family to be with this scrub. So she's just like, hey, die, die in the water. The it's been 84 young years. The eye roll moment for me is when she's rescued, taken Ellis Island. She's changed her last name to take on Jack's memories. So she's now Rose Dawson. Rose Dawson. And maybe she did it as a souvenir of the trauma of being on the Titanic and surviving. But again, the reason the romance, the reason that this is an iconic couple, because I think everybody that's single has this secret romanticized, fetishized idea that if I go on this trip, I'm going to meet someone. Yeah. And we're going to have this whirlwind romance. We're going to have this amazing fling. Stars align. And that's what this movie is. Star-crossed lovers, man. Yeah, it's, it's Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, which is also Leo. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. Like they, Everybody's got this, hey, I'm going on this trip. I'm single. I'm not planning on meeting anybody, but if I do, it's... So, I think everybody, like, connects to that idea. So, probably wouldn't be on my list, but I have to put it on my list. Hey, my next one is a great movie. 
especially in high school for me. It's 10 things I hate about you. It's Patrick Verona and Cat. Yeah. Shakespeare. Taming Sh- of the Shrew. Exactly. Two people, absolutely polar opposite. Dirty guy from the other side of the tracks. Cat being the intellectual girl. She wants to go to Sarah Lawrence. She's not like her prissy sister who acts like her shit don't stink and wants to be the most popular girl in school. She's the I'm going to wear fucking military outfits and listen to letters to Cleo. Yeah, exactly. She's the rebellious type. She's a rebellious type. She was the stereotypical representation of a, a feminist at that time. Big time. Yes. However, she ends up. Through the nefarious means of mm-hmm. Joseph Gordon-Levitt wants to take her younger sister to prom. Who's She's the most popular girl in school. Yeah. Like, listen, we will pay you to take her older sister, Kat. But lo and behold, they start bonding. Next thing you know, they like each other. But then she finds out, hey, this was all a joke. And she finds out at prom of all things. And it blows up yeah. in his face. Hey, you don't really love me. You were paid off. Yep. You're nothing. Well, he ends up showing her, listen, it's not about that. I really love you. And you mean everything to me. And I never thought this would happen, but it did. Sometimes in movies through, like I said, bad means, nefarious means, ill intent, somehow star-crossed lovers, they find each other. I love that. What's, what's the iconic romance in this movie? Because I can name it right. As soon as you say their names, I go there. What is it? Oh, what? In 10 Things I Hate About You? Yes. He pays off the marching band. Oh, that's when he sings. Oh, that's so good to be true. Can't take my eyes off of you. He pays off the band. He performs in front of the whole school, essentially. aesthetically might be the most visually appealing high school football stadium I have ever seen. Yeah, it's Seattle. Oh, is it Seattle? Yeah, it's up in the Pacific Northwest. But yeah, that's. One of the most iconic scenes in movie history, I would David say. David McCall territory, watch out. Hey, guys, how's it going? <laughs> hey, Kat. Uh, <laughs> oh, God, please say he's on your list. It's, it's David McCall <laughs> and Reese Witherspoon. <laughs> oh, the roller coaster. Fingers are on the roller coaster, and it's so romantic. I love it. I've also got Heath Ledger, so I've got Ennis and Jack Twist from Brokeback Mountain. Okay, very good. Very controversial at the I time. I wish I knew how to quit you. God, that's like soul-piercing for someone to tell someone else. Yeah. I wish I knew how to quit you because that's when it's Daggers. in your bones. Yeah. It's Pride Month. Yeah. Not why I picked this. I picked it because it's genuinely an amazing romance. They have a 20 plus year secret relationship. So they're doing some ranch work, wrangling some sheep on Brokeback Mountain. It gets lonely. And Jack, who is not really secretly gay, like Jack, who, you know, he doesn't try and hide it as much. He's a little bit more open with his feelings. Jack and Ennis share a night together. So then every year after that, they kind of take fishing trips and hunting trips. Yeah, they reunite. They reunite. Goes on for 20 years. Their love is hidden mostly because Ennis is afraid. Ennis. Social acceptance. When Ennis was a kid, his dad showed him a picture of what happens to gay people. And it's like somebody badly beaten. So Ennis can never be yeah, gay for that reason. His yeah. entire life. The only problem I have with their romance is that Ennis is married with kids while his relationship with Jack is, you know, it, it's an affair until he gets divorced. But Ennis is still afraid to be himself until, spoiler alert, Jack is killed because some guys find out he's gay. Well, at least the movie leaves it open to interpretation. Besides the I wish I knew how to quit you scene, the one that gets me is so after Jack dies, Ennis goes to Jack's parents' house because Jack is asked that his ashes are spread at Brokeback Mountain because it's the most important moment of his life. And Jack's dad, who was resentful because he knew what Jack was, 
He says no. Ennis kind of asks if he can come in. And when and I'm going to cry thinking about this. When Ennis goes in to Jack's room to like take everything in the final time, they had gotten a fight one of the first times they met. And Jack kept their bloody shirts together in his closet. And Ennis grabs them and he breaks down. Yeah. He's like clenching these shirts. And the mom knows that they truly loved each other. And she gives Ennis the shirts. Ennis, after like weeping later on, he puts the shirts in his closet. And at the end of the movie, Ennis's daughter comes to tell him that she's engaged. She's going to be getting married. And he goes to his room and he looks at the shirts and the postcard of Brokeback Mountain. And he basically promises to Jack that he will be himself finally. It's so heavy. You know, regardless of the controversy, some people will say this movie was written and made just to capitalize on the gay relationship. But regardless, it goes deeper than that. God, it is such a heavy romance. Again, true love, it's always going to prevail regardless mm-hmm. of what obstacles get in the way. So my next one, I'm going to say my controversial one for last. I'm thinking when we do Me this. Me too, I have a controversial Yeah, one. I have a controversial one. So I'm going to go with this one. Add a little levity to this. And this is kind of a big one. Opposites attract. Leia and Han. Yeah. It makes perfect sense when it comes to our reasoning. Because initially, which is weird, we think Luke and Leia are a couple. Because they kiss. They do. Fucking weird. Yeah. But then you find out, no, he's my brother. Han should have went, Yeah. And then the next thing you know, like, you find out when it comes to Return of the Jedi, when she admits, like, no, Luke is my brother, and I love you. Because the whole time throughout that original trilogy, Han always would hit on Leia, say these little comments, and she even calls him a scruffy little nerf herder. She can't stand him. She thinks he's so deplorable, so disgusting, a sexual wretch, if you will. But I think throughout that whole time, she's picking on him. I think about being a little kid who would needle a girl you like in class, you know, pick on her because you really like her. And I think... Leia loved Han oh, yeah. picking on her. And then you find out by the time the third movie comes around, they both love each other and they end up with each other in the end. And as we see in the other parts of the trilogy, which they have a kid who ends up becoming Kylo Ren, who basically is cosplay Vader. Yep. And Disney ruined Star Wars. But other than that... I mean, who else was Leia going to go for? Luke's her brother? Is she going to go for Admiral Ackbar and Neam Numb? She finds out Chewie has a human dick <laughs> and decides to go with Chewie. No, I, I totally on board. Fine That's a great that. one. Mine, true love always prevails. No one alley the notebook. Oh, God, I hate this movie. Why? I just, oh, I did. Go back and rewatch it. I lost my virginity to this movie and I got yelled at during it. So I, yeah. Oh, <laughs> okay. Cool. Cool. Just, uh, we'll see you next week, guys. Yeah. Bye, guys. It's a forbidden relationship because, again, Allie's parents see Noah as trash. They break up after that because Allie kind of is like, this isn't going anywhere because she still has reservations. She can't defy her parents, so she says it won't work. Noah writes her letters every day he's gone, because I think he goes off to war. He does. So he writes her letters every day, but Allie's mom intercepts them, so she never gets them. And then when Noah gets home from the war, she's engaged, and she finally is like ready to like break the break the tryst and goes with Noah. A little bit of an eye roll, but beginning and end of the movie, we see this elderly couple with dementia and they die together sleeping holding hands it was no one alley so they that was a big reveal they die together at the end of the movie the nicholas sparks you know some people probably put in four nicholas sparks movies on the uh mount rushmore but the notebook's probably the best one here comes 
I hope it's the same as mine. That'd be great. The controversial. I doubt that it is. I really do. I went with a long shot here. So my oh, Teddy God, Roosevelt might not be good. Sam and Annie from Sleepless in Seattle. That's not crazy. I think it's somewhat crazy because throughout this whole movie, they're never together. She just hears his son call into a radio talk show. Got a big dick. Got a huge dick. He has a 10 inch thick file. I want you to send all these love notes into the radio station to find out, find the perfect woman for Mm -hmm. my dad. Well, lo and behold, our fan favorite of the show, Rosie O'Donnell, is friends with Meg Ryan's character and said, I just send it in. Send in a note what happened. His son ends up reading it and said, you should meet Annie. You'll love Annie. And of course, Tom Hanks is like, you're crazy. Why did you do this? This is stupid. This is not going to work. Well, now Annie is totally invested. She's listening to him on Dr. Nora. I can't remember what the name of the radio show was. It's one of those Delilah type things. She's listening every night. Her best friend's listening every night. And she's falling in love with this guy over the radio, this manifestation of this guy who she doesn't even know. His son says, hey, Annie, if you hear me, I want you to meet my dad at midnight on Valentine's Day atop of the Empire State Building. Oh, what? I almost said World Trade Center. No, sleepless in Seattle. So it's not the Empire State Building. No, they meet in New York. Oh, It was New York. So you're thinking the whole time, like, Tom Hanks' character is like, this is crazy. This is stupid. It's not going to happen. They go to the Empire State Building. His son kind of, like, runs away with his little friend. And, of course, he's pissed. They finally find him on top of the Empire State Building. He waits there the entire time for Annie. She doesn't show up. As they're leaving, they go down the elevator. The other elevator opens. It's Annie. So you're like, oh, they just missed it. You're so invested because you're like, oh, this is a perfect love story. It's not going to happen. Well, his son leaves his backpack on the observation deck. They come back up. She's holding the backpack. And then all of a sudden they meet. They hold hands. Go in the elevator, close door, and movie. Why I said this is throughout the whole time, like most of these movies, you see them in the same scene together the whole movie. This time you don't. You don't see it till the very last scene. Well, so that's why I went they, there. Maybe it's not too controversial. But they love but each other for the right reasons. They because do. They never saw each other. So, they do. Yeah, I get. They went Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan in two movies. They did You've Got Mail and Sleepless, Sleepless in, in Seattle. Seattle. So You've Got Mail is the rival bookstores. Yes. Where it's a remake of an old movie, a Christmas movie called Shop on the Corner. I think, I think you're called. right about that. Yeah, that one. They had such good chemistry and such a good romance. I prefer Sleepless better, though. Yeah, I'm not too familiar with them. I'm, I'm just, I think I've seen them both, but... Okay, my controversial fourth and final pick. Here we go. Is it going to be point break level? It's Clark and Ellen Griswold. Ooh, okay. They have probably the most realistic relationship and romance. Family dynamic. Because... Even though their kids change all the time. Goofy families, but they've got real world problems. They've survived through the decades. But what are like the themes of the movie? They go to Vegas to renew their vows. Yeah. You know, because they they love each other. And, you know, when you think of romance and like you might cry at Ghost or at Sleepless in Seattle and these type and notebook make you cry. But what is, you know, those movies are unrealistic. Again, these relationships in some of these other movies, Sleepless in Seattle, they've never seen each other. Titanic, they've known each other three days. In with Clark and Ellen Griswold. They've known each other for years already. They're married. They're married and... I mean, in the first movie, he kind of gets almost caught cheating with Christy Brinkley in the pool. They don't have this perfect, unrealistic romance. It's real world relationship goals. Yeah, Christmas vacation. Their families are crazy. Even in the vacation remake where it's Rusty now grown up, you still see Clark and Eleanor together. So that's a controversial one. Some honorable mentions. Edward and Vivian, pretty woman. Of course. You know. Prostitute, rich guy. Unknowingly gets a hooker, a prostitute, um, sex worker. and 
falls in love with her without knowing what she is. Edward and Bella, Twilight. She becomes a fucking vampire for the guy. Oh, God. Sandy and Danny Grease can't do it because of a million reasons. I mean, they have a, a one-time fling. They change each other. Like, they change for each other. And there's this whole dynamic of, like, impressing your friends. A sleeper one. Rocky and Adrian. Excellent. Yeah, Rocky Balboa and Adrian. Anything else you want to mention? Any other honorable mention? Hey, you can go to the classic movies, Casablanca. Oh, you can go real deep. Um, you can really, really find. But please share with us how wrong we were and, you know, hit up the uh, exclusive page on Facebook or send us an email. Let us know what your Mount Rushmore of romantic movie couples is or where ours were wrong. So a good Mount Rushmore this week. It, once again, the great premise of Mount Rushmore is you get four picks, that's it. There's no, there's so much elimination and logic based into this sometimes we're literally just like dartman throwing a dart at something and hopefully it hits like steve bartman we're snagging a fly ball and then costing the cubs and then everybody wants to kill you and you can't show your face you can't come back to cubs games you have to live in hiding <laughs> uh, don't be moises alou yeah okay let's uh let's get back in the pool everybody back in the pool Whenever anything good in my life happens, I'm just afraid I'm going to lose it. I love you. I really love you. Ditto. So, critical question this week. We've talked about the power of love in Ghost. We've talked about romantic moving movie couples in the pool check. In Ghost, Sam declines to go to heaven because he's still so in love with Molly that he wants to look out for her. And then last week, we covered Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift which we'll be discussing again here momentarily. So in the interest of that, for our critical question, who's the ultimate platonic movie bromance? Oof. Or it doesn't have to be a bromance, just a platonic yeah. relationship. Now for me, Maverick and Goose and Top Gun. So fucking Maverick killed him. <laughs> Quentin Tarantino's in a 1994 movie called oh. Sleep With Me. It's got Eric Stoltz and Dean Cameron. And Tarantino gets this whole monologue specifically about the relationship in Top Gun. You can look that up on YouTube. I'm not going to discuss it here. But in that monologue, he discusses the most bromantic scene in Top Gun, which isn't between Goose and Maverick, but between Maverick and his former nemesis Iceman, now the highest tier member of Maverick's Patreon. He looks Maverick in the eyes and tells him lustily, you can be my wingtime any... You you be my wingtime any man? <laughs> you can be my wingtime any man. You can... <laughs> I fucked that up. <laughs> We're keeping it in. You can be my wingman anytime, he tells him. And Bullshit. He, you can be mine. And then he drops his towel. So that to me is Top Gun. You know, it's it's looking out for one another. I mean, I've got a handful of others. Jim, what, what do you got? I mean, you know, the power of love is a curious thing, man. You know, it can make one man weep, make another man sing. And it's Marty and Doc Brown. It's Marty and Doc Brown. It is Dom and Brian. Dom and Brian. Yeah. Dom and Brian are the biggest bromance that fucking Brian is cop. Yeah. He's in there to infiltrate well, Toretto and Dom everybody. And Brian, if we had not opened it to just romantic, this aligns with exactly what your Mount Rushmore just was, is it was like opposites attract. One's a criminal, one's a cop. How many times has Brian gone to the good side, but Mia says it perfectly in the fourth movie, maybe the whole time you were a bad guy trying to play like a good guy. It's so true. Yeah. He's a cop. Let's Toretto go. Becomes a fed. Let's Toretto go. It might be the biggest bromance next, literally, to Maverick and Goose, except. Well, we did talk about Bodie and Johnny Utah, which that's is another essentially 
may have influenced Fast and the Furious because that's exactly what they are. Johnny Utah is this undercover cop sent to infiltrate this gang of bank robbers, but he, he seriously like admires and likes this guy so much that he lets him go. Basically, he can't. He tries to, to apprehend. He can't. He can't do it. He fires off. As they say in Hot Fuzz. But even with Dom and Brian, though, Brian becomes a permanent member of the family. I mean, he gets Mia pregnant and they end up going off. So it makes it even more amazing. And then uh, I've got Riggs and Murtaugh. That's great. Although I should have Murtaugh and his family because they watch him bathe. Still one of the most creepiest scenes in movie history. Like his dick is right there. You can't put a fucking washcloth over that as your daughter is right there handing you a cake. It's one thing if your daughter's like, Dad, can I come in? No, nope, family just comes in, all stands around. Hey, Dad, nice dick. <laughs> He's laying in the back. Happy birthday, Raj. Weird. Let's, where's our, where's our buddy? Our <laughs> buddy, uh, David McCall. Talk about one of the greatest romantic couples ever. Nicole forever. It all could have been different, Mr. Walker. You should have allowed nature to take its course. Probably should have made our list because he carves her name in his chest. And then he took pictures of Nicole's family and put his head over her dad. I mean, what is more romantic than that? I know. All right. Logic this week for Ghost. Why can Otome hear Sam and not see him? You think spatial awareness would recognize, like, if is somebody's there, talking here, I'm going to look here. Is there any reason to making what disadvantage if they would have been like, oh, to make and see Sam and hear him. I don't know what the disadvantage is. I don't get it. There's no disadvantage. I just don't understand her spatial awareness. She's literally looking up and around. You can tell like Stevie Wonder, but even Stevie Wonder has spatial awareness. You can see. You can tell when someone is where they're at when they're talking. You just know. Yeah. My big one, because I know you have a lot of logic I would cover. Oh, a ton. But my big one, Carl is laundering this $4 million. So you're thinking, man, this Carl's $4 million pot. Okay, and, and one of mine is that, and I, I'll just let you piggyback off mine. It's exactly $4 million. On the dot, on the penny, $4 million. That would be suspicious. Like, as soon as someone at the bank was like, exactly $4, four million. million. If it were $4 million, $183,362.14. Somebody's like, okay, something got jacked up in the system. Or even breaking it up in other accounts, like here's 250 a year, yeah. here's 125 here. No, that is going to draw red flags. Yeah. Four million. The amount exact. Like maybe just they thought somebody botched some decimal points, but. Uh, what is this, office space? Weird. Take a fraction of a court. But here's the thing he brings it up when Carl does his official heel turn in front of Ghost Sam. Ghost Sam Weed, I should say that right. He's not getting all four million. These are drug dealers, okay? Just don't blow this for me, will you? I've risked my job. I could go to jail. $80,000 of that money is mine. His cut is only $80,000 of that four million. His job would be more than an $80,000 payday. What the fuck is he doing? He negotiated 2% out of four million. I've seen this movie several times and I never caught that because I'm like, guy's getting $4 million. You know, he's, this is his cut is the $4 million. No, he's moving $4 million for drug dealers who we never see. We hear the name one time. He's moving to offshore accounts, $4 million. So he can get $80,000 unless he's doing this often. Or is this the first time you'd think he could have said 5%. I'll do this for you for 5% of $80,000 for 5% is $200,000. What is he paying Willie? We don't understand or ever hear True. how much he's paying off Willie of that 80000 He might have to give him all 80000 So he's basically doing this for free. I mean, maybe... In the end, is he just doing this to fuck Demi Moore? 
in the end. Maybe. He's just trying to get in her pants. I mean, I guess if, if 80,000 is as easy as just like clicking a couple buttons and that's what he thinks, like I just got to click a couple buttons, move it to an account. I make $80,000 for five minutes of work. I just feel like there is a suitcase transfer and it's just, here's your 80,000 yeah. in a duffel bag. Right. In the opening scene, Sam, Carl, and Molly are doing some home improvement of the demo variety, hitting stuff with uh, sledgehammers, pulling out walls. Sam and Carl are shirtless. Why? Why isn't Demi shirtless? Yeah. Why Why are Sam and Carl shirtless with paint? You got the horror movie theme playing. You got the, it's dark. If I'm doing demo work, like, I've, you do outside where well, you get all scratched up. Like yeah. you're wearing clothes, you get all scratched up and you don't even know how. If you're pulling nails and drywall and all this other, and not to mention maybe asbestos, whatever they're doing. Yeah, we'll just do it with no shirts on. Shirtless. It looks Crazy. like a flower bomb went off on them. Yeah, and they're, I don't think they're wearing goggles or anything. Nope. And they pull the roof down. No above masks, them. nothing. Crazy. They now have toxic chemicals in their lungs. Vincent Schiavelli has the whole, this is my train bit. Stay out! That scene scared the shit out of me as a kid. We see some people instantly go to heaven and presumably hell. But shouldn't there be more ghosts that stick around on Earth, especially in New York City? We kind of get at one point in the movie that these the ghosts who stay have unresolved business. Mm -hmm. Throughout the movie, we get a total of 20 ghosts. There should be 2 million ghosts in Lower we Manhattan. We see Sam Wheat, the emergency room ghost who talks to Sam that we discussed earlier. The people in Oda May's place. Yeah, we get the guy in the operating room who is a ghost, but he doesn't even stick around. He just he ascends to the white light. We get a woman in a blue dress at the cemetery during Sam's funeral. If you caught her. Ghost of uh, the man in black at Subway, Vincent Schiavelli is one willie and, and carl yeah and then there's 11 ghosts who appear in otome's store and then yeah as jim said willie and carl so based on the math alone in new york city only 20 ghosts have unresolved business and no way yeah it's, we're talking 1990 new york city it was still at the time considered one of the most dangerous places to yeah. be in the world. Yes. So the people in this movie that are like unresolved are waiting for something or it just would be more. If the ghost can pass through walls, why don't they fall through floors? How can they sit on chairs? There's no rules. That's the thing that drives me nuts. I, yeah. It's just, I get that it messes with the plot of the movie if they can open doors so they can pass through doors so that they don't alarm. But then like when Sam's in the apartment, he can just sit on a chair. You see the molecular breakdown of the doors in which he passes through. Yeah. Why not the Barca lounger? So Willie shoots his way into Molly's apartment, but he has a key that he used earlier to steal Sam's notebook. Yeah. Where'd you do it? The, the key, first Willie? time Willie came to the house, he used a key. The next time he's there, he shoots the lock. It's crazy. Yeah. No. Maybe he just assumes that she changed it. I don't know. At least Sam could fuck with the cat right off the bat. You can fuck the cat. No, fuck with it. Not uh, fuck it. Meow. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about it anymore. <laughs> I could be here a while. So what's the legacy of this movie? The, the scene. The pottery scene has been parodied in Naked Gun, a bunch of other stuff. There was a ghost musical in the UK. There are remakes in Japanese and Bollywood. I kind of question why, at the very least, we didn't get a direct-to-DVD sequel. Ghost 2? It made... How much? $500 million. $5 million. There are movies now that wish they made $500 million. I wonder if there was, there had to have been talk of a sequel. There had to have been. I mean, my thought is if they made a sequel, they would have said. I think it would have been Otome on another adventure. Well, it would have been, yeah. Another ghost came to Otome. And because Whoopi was the success story, she, you know, she's the one that won the Oscar for it. So it seems like, all right, let's bring Otome back. Direct to DVD. It's Jackie Harry. 
<laughs> Maybe. <laughs> far. The guy and was Paul like, Hogan. I'm really disappointed we didn't get Paul Hogan and Jack A. Harry. I got an idea. So, yeah, I, I just, a Ghost 2 would have made some money. Like I would hope they wouldn't call it Ghost 2. I would hope they would just use Odame's name. Odame Adventure. Ghosts. Like alien aliens. Yeah, why not? Odame. There had to have been talk, though. It's probably animated the Odame Adventure. I mean, even if this was, if it made $200 million, there had to have Saturday been. Saturday morning cartoon. There had to have been talk of some sort of offshoot or some sort of merchandising. I mean, or, again, for the amount of money that you made, they just like cash or check and went home. Try, just. Maybe sometimes, though. That's a good thing. It you is. know when the, the going's good, you get the fuck out. It is, out. but that's not how Hollywood works. No, they will milk the shit if out of a franchise. unexpectedly makes money, more money than they thought. Do a ghost Titanic crossover. Yeah. See, Titanic, there's one. They couldn't really, you can't really make a Titanic 2. Oda visits Rose, 84-year-old Rose, or however she was at the very beginning of that movie where she meets Bill Paxton, and Oda May's like, I need to talk to Jack. Wow. Boom. And Jack goes, why did you let me die? Got DiCaprio for the sequel. <laughs> Stick around for some plugs. Hey, I'm TJ. Hey, you over there. Get ready to dive into the deep end on the Pool Scene Podcast, baby. Once again, Pool Sceners, thank you for checking out the pod this week. Remember, if you want to know what's going on, any updates, any exciting things coming around the corner, check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Pool Scene Podcast. Also, at Pool Scene Pod on the Twitter. Also, if you want to drop us a line, send us an email at Pool Scene Pod podcast at gmail.com any movie ideas we have some amazing movies coming up if there's a movie you want us to cover let us know you're on the journey with us and now back to kevin all right well point break came up on this podcast so might as well cue mr anthony kiedis lead singer of the red hot chili peppers that would be a waste of time Thanks, Anthony. You didn't overact at all. So last week, we covered Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift, the third movie out of the eight that have already been released. The most important. Nine coming out, a couple of weeks, and then... 25th, I believe. Spin-off Hobbs and Shaw. So after we recorded, we record on Wednesdays for the most part, and the Thursday, so the next day after we recorded, Vin Diesel announced that after Fast 9... The next two films are essentially a two-part finale. Now, the way he worded it is that he said he was done. He just was like, I'm doing two more films. He needs to. You know why? Dom Toretto's going to be 60. Yeah. It's so time. So he basically was like, I'll do two more films, and then they can replace me with Steven Seagal. I'll do two more films. They didn't say that. So, yeah, he'll do two films. So, essentially, what they're planning is that 10 and 11 will be a two-part finale. So 9 that's coming out, I think it's like the 25th, will be the first chapter of the... Final three. The final three. And then, you know, a lot of movies do this now. Marvel did it where... Twilight did it. Yeah, the... Harry Potter. Last two movies are a two-part finale. So basically, that's the plan for Fast and Furious. Now, at one point... Now, the only reason I know all of this is because I think I've seen every movie at least one point in time. I've never watched the movies together. But now you have. I have. I watched all of them sequentially in order. And I will say five's the best because I think it's the heist elements. You got the whole gang back together. It's a great story. Justin Lin was made to be the director of this franchise. Yeah. And then I'd say the worst to me is eight. It's awful. It's terrible. It's 
was horrible. After six, or maybe it was six, they decided rather than being like car driving movies that they were now spy movies. They basically feel like dollar store Bond movies. Pretty almost. much. Or in some cases, just on par with Bond. Uh, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed them. Like Now, I know at, I think five and six or maybe six and seven were supposed to be a two-part to be continued movie the story continues but up to this point no two movies were direct no like one was its own thing because that's why they knocked jesse off in one because it was just gonna be one movie then they saw how much money they made but vin's like no i want to do riddick so two and three basically after you watch all eight are its own thing yeah and then they're retconned back into everything just little lines here and there yeah, I mean, two essentially is is kind of a throwaway, other than it introduces the character of Roman and Tej. Roman, yeah, Roman and Tej, who are still a big part of the franchise Tom's team. And then three again, you've got Han has been in the movies, but everything he's done in the movies was up until the point of him going to Tokyo. So nine will have him back from the dead. Back from the dead, exactly. Ugh. And then. Uh, we'll see if Sean from Fast from Tokyo Drift is in the next movie with Art of Dom's crew. I would hope so. Han brought him. Because you'd think if Han comes back from the dead, he's in Tokyo. The first person he's going to see is Sean. Yeah, I would hope so. And then him and Sean are going to go see Dom. I'm hoping like Han wakes up in the hospital and there's Sean. And in one of the movies, Sean and Dom have a conversation after they race. Sean looking ten considerably years. older. Yes, even though it's supposed to be right then. Yeah, I mean, I... I enjoy these movies. Like this is to me, this is it's fun. The summer blockbusters when we were a kid that it's everybody awesome. wanted to see, regardless. Like Batman and Robin, a terrible movie, oh, absolutely it's terrible, horrible. It's ass. But did you want to miss out on not seeing it? No, you absolutely wanted to. You see You had to it. go with the train wreck. Now I will say a couple of mistakes they've made along the way. Again, I didn't really enjoy eight and seven, but having James Wan direct seven. Justin Lin was born to make these movies. He He should have made all of them. I don't know why he didn't make seven and eight. Probably the money wasn't good enough. Maybe, but he didn't make seven and eight. Seven, James Wan, the horror director. And eight, F. Gary Gray, you know, the famed music video director, who's done some movies as well. Eight took itself way too serious. Well, seven was like the beginning of like... We're going to have a shit ton of action just for the sake of, of ha- having like, it. And they have that big heist on the... Um, yeah, we have Statham now. Yeah, they have to get this girl out of this convoy and like they go over the cliff and all this like... Very over the top. Yeah, and then they just go from place to place to place and 8 does that to an extent, but 8 leans even more because you have this Mr. Nobody character played by Kurt Russell and they just... They go... 7 to me is not even redeemable if not for the... Paul Walker, the Paul Walker stuff. So after Paul Walker died, they do this tribute to Brian and write that character out of the Uh, movie. Once again, cried like a baby watching that. And then, but eight doesn't have even that doesn't have the redeemable. Now there's a couple funny parts in eight. The chemistry between the rock and Statham is really good. It's really good. Which which leads to Hobbs and Shaw. And I watched Hobbs and Shaw again. It's a lot better now. Yeah. Because I guess maybe I didn't know what to expect the first time I watched it. I was just like, this is crazy. This is ridiculous. But watching it again now after watching the Fast movies. It's basically Hobbs helping the Shaw family. Yeah. That's all it is. It was pretty fascinating. But and re-watching then- all these, for the longest time, I had four near the bottom yeah. of my list. I've moved four up. Oh, yeah. Four well, is so much better than what I thought it was. Yeah, I'd probably go like... Okay, yeah. Let's hear your rank. Five is definitely the best. And then six. And then probably one, four... And then two, three, seven, and eight. 
So mine's five, one, four, six, three, seven, two, and eight. Yeah, that's where I'm standing. Yeah, two's not bad. It's neither not good. It's just like... It's there. It's, we said, with Ghost. Like, one made money. They were like, let's make a sequel. It v- almost seemed like a straight to DVD. Vin Diesel didn't return, so their only options were really to... The thing about two, John Singleton directed. <laughs> yeah, it's so another weird I mean, choice. just so... But the only reason he did that, because he loved the first one. He loved the car culture. That's why he decided to throw his hat in the ring for two. Yeah, it's two is just so crazy. And then you have... The best is, like, you have that line where Paul Walker... Because John Singleton, a black director, makes has made black movies, oh, you know, yeah. hood movies. He treated Paul Walker like he was, like, a hood character, because you've got... Tyrese leaning into, you know, the culture and you've got Ludacris yeah, Ludacris lean, leaning into the culture. And then you've got Paul Walker like, yeah, cuh. Yeah, cuh. He's saying cuh. And I'm like. <laughs> also, I question the second movie because Cole Hauser is the choice to play the Verona character. Yeah. No. You could have found somebody better. You than- know, that, that's something to me that's lacking with the fast movies. But then it was like a careful what you wish for. Because you have this this gangster named Arturo Braga. Not really a great villain. You, you kind of have these like villain of the weeks. But the redeeming thing about Braga was he was there the whole time. Yeah, exactly. That was the redeeming thing. Yeah, he returns. But, but like, even in Fast Five, the bad guy, not great. No, the bad guys are not good. And then, but so then I'm like, okay. In eight, they take a swing at making a lot better villain. Yeah, Cypher. They have Charlize Theron with dreadlocks, who is, yeah. she's anonymous times 10. Pretty much. She's the greatest hacker on earth. And I'm like, I fucking hate this character. I did not like her at I all. I don't care. It wasn't a casting thing because Charlize Theron's a good actress. It's just, it's such a piss poor example of like, they tried to actually write a big bad. And the thing that worries me is at the end of eight, she jumps, spoiler, she jumps out of a plane with a with a, a backpack with a parachute. And they even say no location on Cypher yet, which makes me think, okay, I like Hobbs and Shaw. I'm fine. They're going to do a Hobbs and Shaw universe. As long as they keep making money, I think they're going to keep making movies. The end of Hobbs and Shaw. So there's this super cyborg who gets shut down because he's working for someone who's just a voice. Yeah. And they tell Hobbs that it's somebody from his past. And I don't, so I don't know if that's a character we saw because Hobbs debuts in five. Hobbs is in five, six, seven, eight. So I don't know if Hobbs is, if it's somebody from one of those movies or, or if it's Cypher. It's Cypher maybe crossing over into Hobbs I'm fine and Shaw if they universe. take Cypher into the Hobbs and Shaw universe. Yes. It makes more sense in their universe. In five, nobody knows whatever happened to Don Omar and Tego yeah. Calderon. Nobody ever tells you what happened to them. Let it be like that. Like Cypher goes off into that universe. Yeah. Well, they're in um they're in they're, eight. Are they oh that's right there. Yeah, because so how much I've written eight Because off. they assist in Shaw fakes his death and they assist in getting Shaw out of there. So there's interesting places they could go. Now, if they do bring Cypher back into the fast, because at its root, it's still, a, it's, it was a car race movie. That's yeah. now a full blown Bond style spy thing where these guys are like a team for hire to take down the biggest criminals in the world. But it should still be action based and not like hackers and shit. Let's get crazy. Give me space. Well, they're getting. They're in the air now. But what? With the mat. With nine. They're in the air tonight. Hold on. <laughs> Mag, uh, nine's gonna have the magnet plane. So if nine has a magnet plane, 
We're up 30,000 feet. Let's just keep going. Only thing that makes perfect sense is if Cena does amazing in nine and you want to go beyond 11, Cena is the new Toretto. He's Dom's brother. That's how you carry it on with John Cena. I, I think they should. Hopefully you can see him. I think they should end it with 11 and then start to transition the characters over to Hobbs and Shaw if they're going to be a franchise. That would make sense. I, again, Hobbs and Shaw, you have this special agent and a super killing machine. It's the opposites formula who now respect each other. You want to take down hackers. You want to take down superheroes, whatever. Cyborgs. Needs to be in that universe. You want to race cars and stuff like that. That should be in the fashion universe. I agree. Separate it out. So we'll see. Me and me and Jim, we're going to go here in a couple weeks. And we're going to do, we're going to come back and we're going to do an official spoiler cast episode we're yeah. going to talk about the whole thing hopefully when we go see it there's not really that many people in the theater so we can take notes while we well, watch yeah or try well anyways. we can pro there's probably gonna be a wiki page up by then that we can borrow very good from. point now one final thing before we get out of here for this week is we have to make a clay pot together we do something else we need to do together is jim's got a 40th birthday coming up this year oh fuck i got a perfect theme for a party for you oh god what the fast and the 40th <laughs> Can I dress up like Vin Diesel Please and do. Fast Five with the wife Peter? Dress and the, up like Shaw. Oh, God. Do yeah. you know what I mean? The Fast and the 40th. Oh, God. But that's uh, that's a few months away. So in I'm still waiting for a Fast 10 at Ridgemont High. Yeah, Fast 10 at Ridgemont High. Nobody photoshopped that for us. Yeah, what the hell, people? Come on. I want to see uh, Damone getting apprehended. Hey, isn't this great? He's at the uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire concert, and then Hobbs kicks the wall through. With Jefferson and little brother. What are you talking about? Jefferson's car could be in the Fast Universe. Could be. 79 Trans Am. Yeah. Everyone, this has been Ghost Adventures. <laughs> Hi, I'm Zach Biggins. <laughs> and uh, Silencia. I love you, Molly. I've always loved you. Ditto.